What's up, everybody? It's Matthew Newman, a.k.a. Mr. Catch on Fire, and the I Just Want to Record podcast. Come kick back and enjoy conversations with folks about the complex and, yes, (laughs) sometimes mundane intricacies of life, all meant to inspire you. Benjamin Carlton, my dear brother, people should know who you are. Who are you? First of all, A5! What, one, 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 nine? (laughs) (laughs) So excited to have you here, dear brother. Yes, sir. So people should know who you are. Who are you? I am a man just trying to do what he can while he can. I am from the mean streets. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) West Philadelphia, born and raised. No, not West Philly, but I am. am, am, am Yeah, yeah. I am from Philly and I attended the illustrious number one HBCU in the nation. Oh, God. Uh, we got drama already. Florida Agriculture Mechanical University. Man. Took up business, communications, always been a communicator ever since I was young. Um, I started acting in like pre preschool. So wow. always been a storyteller and just one who loves to uh, be and share love and be and share laughter. Mm. I got to know what pre-preschool was. Like, yeah. how old were you? So pre-preschool, I had to be like four. Okay. Four or five. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I played a grumpy old man in a Christmas play, and they made my beard out of cotton balls. <laughs> and I had a real raspy voice when I was a kid. I don't remember the lines. I just remember rocking in a rocking chair, saying my lines, and people dying laughing. I think we all have a story where we were once aspiring to be who we are. Yeah. And I remember times I'll tell the story maybe later, maybe on this podcast, maybe not. But I remember when I was younger, everybody thought that I was going to be the preacher and I'm the one who's not the licensed nor ordained minister. I still speak, of course, <laughs> but I'm not that one. Right. Well, my brothers are. But everyone thought it was me because since pre-preschool, I was the one walking to the school bus with a full three-piece suit on. Wow. All that stuff. We're so, twins. I had a briefcase instead of a backpack. So so <laughs> that's why I think we're equally yoked, right? Yes. Like in a sense yes. of like, we already know like our bond and, you know, through the last couple of years, et cetera. But we all have that story. So what do you think was that turning point for you that said, this is who I am? Meaning the point of I am a communicator. I yeah. am an orator. Like, what do you think that was? It was always there. You talk about gifts that you either discover, and then there are some that you're just born into and you have. My first speech, major speech, was at Temple University. I was in first grade. Wow. And I was accepting a war and a war on my elementary school's behalf. Um, In the first grade? In the first grade. And there are thousands of people, you know, in this auditorium or gym Nasium um, at Temple University in Philadelphia. The only thing I can remember was my feet hurt because my loafers were too small. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I accepted the award, but had to give it to the principal uh, for the school. But I was sad because I thought the award was mine. That's so I cried all the way home because I didn't get to keep the award. And then I would make the announcements over the uh, school um, of course. Uh, PA system. And you were supposed to be like, in the upper grades to do that. I started doing it in the first grade. Yeah. Um, so always been a reader communicator. And then I would play church with my friends. Mm-hmm. And I say this as a gift that I was born into because I didn't come from a religious family. Mm. It skipped the generation. My grandparents were in ministry, but they didn't force us on it. I didn't even know they went to church mm. until I got older. I'm like, y'all went to church every Sunday. 
They they never you weren't there. Weren't there. Huh. Didn't invite us. Didn't force religion on us. My nana wow. was a nurse. My pop pop was a minister, a deacon. And I would get a Bible and play church with my friends in the backyard. And I would bribe them with snacks and candy. And I would just open the Bible and start preaching to them, but didn't have a religious background for it. So that could only come from the divine, a yeah. gift that was, you know, ignited without my doing. So check this out. Now I got to tell the story. Now I got to tell the story. So to your point, we're twins. Here's why. My oldest brother, my older brother and I, we all had the same bus driver. And it was Miss Jackie. Donnie, my oldest brother, of course, was the one. He's eight years older than me, six years older than my older brother. And we would watch him go on the school bus every day. So we always wanted our turn, right? <laughs> to ride the big yellow school bus with yes. Mrs. Jack with Miss Jackie. But here's the trick, though, or the crazy part. The crazy part is I would put on that three-piece suit every single day. <laughs> I would tote a Bible. I would wear cowboy boots. And the cowboy wow, boots. Were, I had cowboy <laughs> boots. <laughs> the cowboy boots were on backwards. Wow. And I would walk and get try to get on the bus and my dad and my mom would pull me back. It was like, no, Matt or Bud was my name or still to this day, but not at this time. It's not your time. It's not your time. We used to have a swing set in the backyard during this same period. We used to use broomsticks. Those were our two microphones. You oh, know, wow. You know, the pool pits back in the day, they used to have them two mics. Yes. yes. There was no lapels or no nothing. No and over the ears behind it. Just both to, of them. You had to spoke. Yeah. The broomsticks yes. were our mics. Wow. And that was my, our start, my start of being a communicator, of preaching and teaching and playing church so much that we also used to have a, like a small tennis racket that we would put high on our bookshelf and put the old school tape recorders on top of it. And we would put it up and that was our live recording. Wow. So we would get my mom's popcorn cans. Those are the drums. We had a little, the little small keyboard with the little turntable on mm -hmm. it. Rap master. And that used to be our keyboard. We would play church and charge an admission, 25 cents into our live recording. Wow. So much synergy there in regards to the upbringing. I used to say I was the first one to do the crate challenge because I would make my podium out of crates. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And stand on the crate and yes, preach, sir. preach from the crate. I also had the talk boy. Uh, of course. When Home Alone yes. came out. And I also wanted to like... Be on TV, anchor the news. I want to be on Good Morning America. I love, I was a geek, loved watching the news. And so I would record myself reading the newspaper and then play it back for my siblings. They hated me. I would, <laughs> <laughs> all right, come around, listen to me. And I would play the news back for everybody. And all of that has, fast forwarding, all of that has played such a critical role in your evolution. Yeah. Being on the news, currently hosting a show with another dear brother of ours, your line brother, yeah. and so much more. And so I want us to really dive into this topic of open. That's what we, I want to spend our time on this morning. And for those watching and listening later to really see our hearts in this conversation about this topic of being open. And I want us to explore this topic of being open. Why is because this is such a critical time in our lives, not only with us still struggling to be accepted, by the masses, yeah. uh, but also within our friends and our family, right? We look at the Tennessee three and the issues that are going on right now in Tennessee with those two young 27, 28 year old brothers who are literally fighting for their voice. So this is a time where we all have to be open. I want to read something that is your quote 
from the op-ed The Root from 2015. Oh, wow. And this is going to go into your book that everyone is watching, can see on the table, but also those listing, you will hear the title shortly. But open quote, Benjamin Carlton said this, for more than 15 years, I've struggled to accept that. My journey has been grueling and painful, but it's similar to those of many others who struggle to accept who they are because of society's prejudices towards the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer slash questioning community. Now is the time to put aside differences. Be willing to preach love and to make room for people of all colors and sexual orientations. Close quote, The Root, 2015. Wow. Crazy. That 2015, eight years ago, oh. you wrote this. None of this has been resolved, even in eight years. But I want us to spend majority of the time today really hearing from you about this topic of, of open. Your book that's on the table, I'm Black, I'm a minister, I'm gay, hit the waves, went all over the place, you're a TEDx speaker, the whole nine. Walk us through this book. Walk us through your story. Now that you are out, quote, unquote, right? I'm black. I'm a minister. I'm gay. What is it? Uh, I wanted to add, I think, either a third or fourth point to an earlier point you made about being open, you know, being open to society, being open to our friends and family. Being, We also have to, number one, be open to ourselves the greatest struggle of all. When you are open to yourself, everything else falls into place. But when you're trying to create a persona, create a version of you that is acceptable to the society you live in, to the friends and family you do have, that is when you start creating the alter you or the counter you, the you that is counter to who you are. But when you become open to self first, everything else falls into place. Everybody who's supposed to be there will be there. Everybody who's supposed to love you will love you. And everybody that's not just. Wow. And we got to be willing to let those people go. Wow. And so that was the first major step in me telling my story was accepting me. The part that I did know about me and understanding that everybody else is not going to accept that part of you. And I have to be OK with that. Mm. This book literally ripped my life to shreds. What I thought I knew, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Who I thought I knew, right? Mm -hmm. Your friends, your close, your loved ones, who I, I thought I knew, I didn't. Mm -hmm. Because they loved the version of me that I presented, but did not love the version of me that was the real me. Mm -hmm. And so being open is so crucial, but the first step is self. It's good. And I didn't have all the answers. I just knew I was tired of playing this game of hiding I was tired of living a DL life. I was tired of putting on for people. Oh, you're going to get married. Your wife's going to be beautiful. This, all this thing. And I would just go along, dated people, was close to engagement, mm. but then realized I can't be out here destroying people's lives to fit into society. Oh, that's good. I have known many of men and women, many of preachers to fall in line to fit in, but secretly miserable, mm. hating going home. Mm. They spend so much time on the road because mm. they hate going home. Mm. You know, on the road, they can be themselves. You can go preach mm -hmm. and then go wherever you want to go mm -hmm. and be whoever you want to be mm -hmm. once you take the robe off. Mm -hmm. But when you go home, you have to be 
that husband. You yeah. have to be that father. You have to be that preacher. And I was like, I don't want that life. I always looked forward. Yeah. Right. Even when I was in corporate, I worked in corporate for some years, from some major companies. And I looked forward. I said, I don't want that. I want to be CEO, but I don't want to be miserable. Yeah. I want to be a partner, but I want love in my family. I don't want to be working, working, working. Like one of my duties for one major firm was to force people to go on vacation. Interesting. They had hours and hours. I can know. They had weeks and weeks and weeks (laughs) of vacation that they were not taking. Mm. And they had the money. They had the cars, the Range Rovers, the houses. They never had time to enjoy them. Mm. I was like, I don't want that life. And so I did not want the life of playing the straight part with a wonderful wife and wonderful kids, but being miserable. Mm. And that forced me to step into my truth, be open and honest with myself. And I did it without writing this book. I came out, wrote that op-ed in the root.com, the organization I co-founded, Be Me Community. We had a campaign called hashtag black men love. And we wanted to flood the world with things black men loved, our jobs, our families, our kids, our hobbies, God, all that. And my team was like, well, why don't you write about your love? I'm like, oh, no, Mm. no, thank you. Mm. After some thought, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Because unfortunately, to fit into society, I bashed the LGBTQ community. As a member of the cloth, Mm -hmm. as a man of faith, Mm -hmm. I stood up on pulpits and bashed the LGBTQ community because it was orthodox. It was Mm -hmm. it was behavior was what I was taught. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't now, since I decided to come out, just be on Instagram with a boo. It's like, sir, wait, what? You just told us we were going to hell. Now you are one. What's happening? Yeah. And so I wrote the article and everyone after that would ask me, how can you be gay? Yeah. And not only a Christian, but a minister. Yeah. You're a false minister. You're a false prophet. Yeah. You are, you know, the devil, all the things. I had death threats. I had to go and get the FBI involved. I had people in minister's cloth telling me they were going to come kill me and find me and burn me. And I was like, wow, Jesus, if this is if this is your representation, I don't even think I want to be a Christian anymore. Can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. <clears throat> you know what's so crazy is that many whites killed blacks. Let's take it all the way back to Jesus' day. They killed him in the name of religion. Yeah. They killed Jesus in the name of religion. <laughs> and so the challenge that many people are having, those such as many theologians still to this day, struggle with this fact that we are embracing a religion that has killed us, specifically the black community, in the name of what we believe. Howard Thurman is one of them, right? Here are people who have won, not even, I don't want to say study, that sounds too scholarly, but have brought to light the significance that we are embracing killing people in the name of a religion that has killed us. Hopefully that's clear. The whole point here is that for you is that you've been criticized, ostracized, same thing, Carlton Pearson, same thing with him, yeah. with the gospel of inclusion, sent out of his church for the sake of him embracing something new in revelation or new in thought. It's crazy. There's, I want to go back to something too that you shared. And what you shared was this significance of being who we are. And one of my favorite quotes is by Fat Albert <laughs> in the movie. Yes. He said, A Philly fave. A Philly fave. Yes, of course. 
He says, when you try to become someone you're not, you lose the essence of who you truly are. Mm. And that quote from the movie stood out to me so much in so many regards, because to your point, there are many people who are gay, whether they're behind the door, in front of the door, those people who have multiple women in their lives or multiple wives, multiple girlfriends or children outside of the marriage, all of the stuff that seems to be so against orthodox, right? Preachers who are traveling to go preach, but then that night they're at the strip club or they have to bar throwing them back or then somebody's room smoking weed, whatever the case may be. All of these things that are deems. Who told you? Because some of them may have been me. <laughs> Did you have a camera following me? Don't catch me on the Freak Nick documentary now. So, <laughs> so all if of, I see Matt on uh, that documentary, I'm going to turn it off. It may you not be that one. <laughs> you may see me on another one. But there's, there's so many things that are deemed so unacceptable, yet we all reverence this accepting God. Yeah. And so my question in all of this is this, is how do you navigate the church being as present and focused as you are on being a phenomenal communicator, a phenomenal teacher and preacher? How do you focus on preaching the love that you spoke about, but yet being criticized by the church? How do you stay focused? Yeah. What is your focus? So I realized even in, writing and releasing this book, which is also available on audiobook. Yes, yes. Is that I'm running to the fire every day. I am facing monsters every day. I'm facing hate rhetoric every day. Hmm. Choosing love is a hard decision, especially when choosing that love is against who you are as a person. Hmm. And so I find myself really deep rooted in understanding that though I may be persecuted, mm. though I may be talked about, mm. though I may be locked out of some rooms, mm. though I may be, you know, accused of all these things, they did it to the one I serve. Mm. They did do it to the least of these, which is Jesus the Christ. And it's sometimes hard for us meaning the church or people in general, to relate ourselves to Jesus. When Jesus experienced some of the same oppression that we experienced, and even when Jesus said that the work that I do, you can do greater. If I don't leave, I can't leave my spirit. We automatically discount our power when we don't acknowledge the statement made by Jesus himself. Yeah. So, as you continue to navigate these treacherous waters, if you will, of continued oppression, perpetuated yeah. oppression from the church, the people and the space that we love the most is I still wonder for those, and you can just maybe give a piece of advice for those who are struggling to be themselves in a space that's so condemning. Yeah. Like what's that advice you would give to them? One thing is follow after the heart of the divine. Jesus was persecuted for being loved, right? He wasn't persecuted for robbing the church. He wasn't persecuted for beating a woman. He wasn't persecuted for lying. He was, he was persecuted because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Mm. <laughs> he was persecuted because he was sitting with the prostitute, talking and having conversations. 
He was persecuted because he told them that there's something greater coming, that greater is in me, and that greater is bigger than you. And they said, oh, no. And so when I go out into the world, forget the issue, right? Forget the LGBTQ issue. Yeah. When I go out into the world and present love to all, I am persecuted from the people who are supposed to be representatives of love for all. Mm Mm-hmm. If God is accepting and loving of all, who am I to deny the least of these? Mm -hmm. Who am I to deny his precious children Mm -hmm. when there are people who are of the cloth who will condemn you to hell without even having a full scope of picture of what hell is? Mm -hmm. But because who I am is counter to what you believe, I automatically am your enemy. Mm -hmm. Even in that, the Bible says, love your neighbor. Love your enemy. I love your enemy. (laughs) If I am your enemy, the Bible still instructs you to love me. And love, if you look up the definition, if you look up the scriptural references to love, it's none of what I've been receiving from people of the cloth simply Mm -hmm. because I'm choosing to be who God created me to be. Mm. One of the things that, that I use often to encourage people is that you're here on purpose with the purpose. That's good. And everybody that is supposed to love you will love you. And everybody who's not just won't. Mm. And you have to accept that. You have to accept that who you are won't be received by everybody. Jesus was king of the world. Yeah. The only savior of the world. Now, I don't discriminate against any other religion, but my Jesus is the only one who died and rose again. Yeah. Recorded in history. Yeah. He was not loved and accepted by everybody. He was even rejected by his own people. Yep. He told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Three times. Peter said, no, 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 I love you. Yeah. They said, do you know this man? I don't know that man. Mm-mm. His Mm-mm. own people. So you have to keep going even when your own people deny you. Jesus was committed unto death. Here's the struggle. The struggle is that we, let's bring it back to our community. The black community struggles with openness. I believe there are those who are in the LGBTQ community who struggle with openness. There are those who are experiencing maybe soft battles with autism or dyslexia or whatever the case may be. Whatever the, the stigma is, they are mental struggling health. mental health with the openness. Why? Because we've been taught as a community to be closed. Here's here's the, what I mean. We've been taught as a community to be closed to evolved thought. So we're close to the people who are not like us. So if we're close to the people who are not like us, instead of being open to the people who are not like us, then we are close in every other area of our life. So the question that I had planned of like, why does our community struggle with openness? Why does the black community, why does the LGBT, why does all of these communities struggle with openness? Is because we've been taught to be close in so many different areas of our lives. So I have a question. Considering all of what you've learned over these years of you being open to your sexuality is what are you learning? What have you learned and what are you currently learning in this season of your life? Well, before I get to that question, I love, you know, bring us back, land the plane. Yes. And the source of us, because we vaguely sometimes speak about what we've been taught And this book, I mean, it's a thick book, but mainly because it had to tackle so many issues is the start of us being closed 
happened the moment we were stripped from the shores of West Africa. Wow. Talk to us. Most of us <laughs> come from Central Africa. They went to Central Africa, walked us all the way to shore. We've never seen beach before, never seen ocean before. And boom, we're gone. Because strategically, right, when you look up how to tame a people, tame a nation, yeah. conquer a nation, you have to strip them from their culture. Mm. You have to strip them from the root of who they are mm. and indoctrinate them into the ways of you. Yeah. Which makes you supreme. That's where white supremacy comes from. They're not all supreme and all powerful. They just stripped us from who we are, made themselves supreme. They took us and our heaven from where we were physically and pointed our heaven to the sky and took our heaven from us. They came to the native lands. They came to the Caribbean islands, took the glorious land that belonged to the native people, made it their heaven and pointed our heaven to the sky. Wow. And so we have been stripped of all the things that make us who we are, not only stripped, but told that those things are anti-God. Wow. That is the source of our rooted trauma, mm. our language, our creativity, our freedom, our spirituality, right? Everybody thinks that queerness got to Africa through Europeans and white people. No, there were queer kings and queer kings. In native lands, in Native America, there were three-spirited people, two-spirited people. There were wife husbands and husband wives. All of this is in our history books. Wow. Where they celebrated and honored every part of the human experience. The European culture came in and said, nope, that savagery, that is not God. Your God is now white mm. with blonde hair and blue eyes. Mm. When you look at every religion in the world, their deity is reminiscent of who the people are. Wow. We're the only ones who worship a deity, a God that is not reminiscent of who we are. That was strategically done. There's something called the doctrine of discovery, mm -hmm. right? Where the popes came together, I believe in the 14th century and said, any nation that you come across that does not worship Christ, like we worship Christ, you have the right to conquer that nation and make them worship God like we do. Paraphrasing layman's terms. Yep. Terror in the name of God. Stripping lands of their resources, right? They not only came in and, 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 and taught us religion, they took our gold, yep. they took our land, yep. they took our resources, Everything. made it their own, all in the name of God. When you look at the Ethiopians, they were not able to do it because Ethiopia, uh, Eastern uh, Orthodox, they had a version of Christianity. And when the Europeans came and said, hey, we want to give you Christ, they said, oh, we're good. We mm. got Christianity. And because of that doctrine of discovery, they were not able to conquer Ethiopia. Wow. But everywhere else they were in the name of God. So the source of us being taught not to be open is rooted in us being open, being counter to who God is. Mm. That's why when you look at how the white church and the black church got started, we black slaves were told to sit in the back, be quiet. Yeah. But then we were given the opportunity to have our own church services, right, mm. which were monitored. We had a different Bible, which took out Moses and the story because they didn't want the slaves to revolt. Mm -hmm. But church was different. Why? Because our black, our African culture was infused, mm. speaking in tongues, mm. dancing in the Holy Ghost, rhythm. Mm. <laughs> That's why even today, black and white churches are different because it's who we are. are. Yeah. 
And that's the root of us being taught not to be open. Mm. And so my life and legacy and impact, hopefully, is to get people back to the essence of who we are intrinsically, who we are at our root, who we are in our DNA. I encourage everyone to get to Ghana. Mm. We got to get to Ghana. Absolutely. I've been all over Africa, still have a lot more to explore. My first place I went to was North Africa. I went okay. to you know Egypt and Morocco. And then I went to South Africa one year. But there's nothing, nothing like Ghana. I'm sure there are other places, right? The Vice President Kamala Harris just went to Tanzania and she went to Ghana. And it's just an amazing experience. But because we come mainly from West Africa and Central Africa, that is the root of who we are. I felt most connected in West Africa, in Ghana. Mm. And when I landed, I said, Lord, show me who you were before the wow. Europeans hijacked your story. Mm. And I got so many revelations speaking to our ancestors, channeling the spirit of who we were before you were stripped of everything. When you go there and literally walk the lands and hear the stories of how we've been stripped wow. and they kept us in slave castles for weeks, torturing us and stripping us, making sure people didn't weren't together that knew the same language, feeding us slop. And, mm. you know, yes, we love our good home soul food. Yep. And I'm not trying to strip that away yeah. from everybody. I love my <laughs> fried chicken greens and mac and cheese. And I love it. Right. Yeah. It's who we are. You, you do that. You're in trouble. <laughs> but what was our diet before we were given the slave menu? Yeah. What were we the slave eating? menu, the slave menu, the slops, the leftovers that we, what we are is resilient. Hmm. We will make do with whatever we're yeah, given. That's for sure. And we were made, we made do with the slops, the leftovers, what was made left of the animal after they took all of the prime important pieces. Yeah. But what was our menu? What was on our menu before the slave menu? What did we eat? How did we survive and thrive? And so that's my ultimate purpose is connect people back to who we are at our core. Because when we speak about who we are, right? I can't even have a conversation with the church about LGBTQ until I get the church to take white Jesus off the window. Wow. Right. And the source and the root, I'm not denying Christ. Yes. I'm denying the white supremacy of it all. Mm. People don't even know that most of the Bible is not white folks. For sure. For sure. There's no way in central northern Africa in the desert it were white folks. White yeah. folks were European, north of everything or south of everything. Yep. Not in the middle. Yeah. Not where the Bible was sourced and written. Yep. They came and took over those lands, but they were not the source. And so mm. getting rid of, I think if we get rid of the erasure of who we are as Africans, we can then have conversations about accepting people of all backgrounds, orientations, whom they are, because that's who we were at our root. I studied it. I looked it up. It's in the book. And that is my ultimate purpose and legacy is to tap us back into who we are. And I know as a trailblazer in this regard, I won't be welcome with open arms. Yeah. I'm disrupting culture disrupting norms you know you you talk about everybody don't you talk about white jesus nah, nope. don't you come against white jesus nope. but truth is god is in this movement of 
exposing us to us. Mm-hmm. And it's happening with the younger generations who are tired of doing things that are counter mm-hmm. to who we are naturally. Mm-hmm. I love how even with the Tennessee three, they're like, no, we're not taking it anymore. No. Nope. We're not doing things because, and it's, it is the, what pains me the most. And again, I used to be this guy, so I get it. It's the black gatekeepers who are wanting to uphold. For sure you know, status quo that is counter to who we are. That's right. That's for sure. It it is really heartbreaking. But again, I used to be one of those people until I had a road to Damascus experience Mm. where God blinded me and showered me with love. Mm. And I tell people it took about two to three years for God to strip away all the beliefs I had that were counter to who I was and expose me. Right. We can't become what we don't know and expose me to what real love is and real acceptance is and true true ministry of Christ. Mm. There's something I'm going to find this in a message that I spoke about as I'm sharing this thought here, but a question that comes up in rhetorical question is maybe our struggle is not necessarily with being open, but our struggle is either being exposed to or understanding what we've been closed off to. Yes. And what we've been closed off to is this understanding of our root, yeah. you know, not to be, not to be cliche or no pun intended with what we talked about from your quote, from the root, the op at the root. But <laughs> in essence, it's like, we have so much that we have been closed off to that could potentially, potentially halt our openness yes. or prevent us from being open because there are things hidden from us, closed from us, understanding of our, of our origin, of our roots that won't allow us to branch off until there's some understanding to your point is that you can't have a conversation about gays in the church, gays in the pulpit without first taking off the white Jesus off the wall or the one that's behind the baptism pool. Like we all see now when they still got it up in the church and they preach pro pro black all day. And that picture of Christ is anti the description of Christ in the Bible. So it really is. You talk about being exposed now. Yeah. These agents of hate mm-hmm. and agents of suppression are bold. Mm-hmm. They are legislating our history away. Yep. Strategically keeping For us sure. from understanding who we are. It's no longer, you know, we blame the white man, the white man. Y'all, who's this white? The one on TV yep. saying, get rid of AP African-American history. Correct. The one on TV saying, stop being woke. We're yep. tired of hearing all this blackness. That's the white yep. man we're talking or about. Or saying that protest is is a temper tantrum yeah. in Tennessee. Yeah. And, or Ruby and, Bridges trying to take her out of the schools, out of the, the historical text. Yeah. Those are the people. Or dismissing a member of the the Tennessee representative Correct. simply because they protested? Because they, they protested. That's the white man we're talking about. Elected that officials. is that is the source of stripping us from who we are because yeah. when we know who we are, we can be more open. When we know who we are, we can tap into our true power. This message I spoke in October of 2018 mm. is a message by the entitled Stop Holding Yourself Hostage, Your Freedom Has Been Restored. Mm. For those biblical folks who want to go look it up, Ephesians 2, 2 through 6, then the 107th division of Psalms, verse two, I gave this opening quote. And it's from, it says from, I'll just start off, I'll start off with what I recite. It says, Martin Luther insisted this one and firm rock, which we call the doctrine of justification is the chief article of the whole Christian doctrine, which comprehends the understanding of all godliness. 
1513 to 1516, Martin Luther received what historian Dr. Lewis Spitz terms as an exegetical breakthrough or revelation concerning the fullness of God's grace. From a former understanding of, open quote, the righteousness of God, close quote, being an active, destructive, jarring punishment, Martin Luther evolved to understand and accept the righteousness of God as a gift freely given through the finished work of Jesus' sacrifice. Here's the biggest point. Martin Luther wrestled with the idea that the struggling sinner must to endure the punishment of a vengeful God. The sinner, too, dealing with every kind of calamity, must to succumb to a threatening gospel of righteousness. However, through lecturing, meditation, and prayer, revealed to Luther that the righteousness lives only by faith, or in other words, the merciful God declares a sinner fully righteous. My favorite theologian and historian, Eric Butterworth, in a book titled Discover the Power Within, this is the book that changed my life, he says that, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, that which is within, and all of its righteousness, right thinking. Once you do those things, then everything else should be added unto you. Yeah. The peace, the love, the calmness, the courage, all of those things that we seek shall be added once we figure out what's inside of us, who we are. And so I bring this, this monologue here up for the sake of we have work to do on ourselves in order to understand what's been closed off from us that will get us to being fully open and exposed to who we truly are in all regards. Whether it's the folks in the church struggling to understand why they embrace Christianity, whether it's the person who's behind the door worrying about what their family's going to say if they come out and tell them they're gay, or whether it's somebody who's coming out to even tell their family they have a mental issue, a mental health issue. Whatever it is, is that we got to be okay with embracing and being exposed to or being exposed to and embracing what we've been closed off to before we realize the value of being open, yeah. whatever that means. Yeah. So I want to close by, we got to do a part two to this. And because and the fire is just ramping it's, up. It's just, it's just I, ramping up. I feel my help. I, I, I literally feel my help. And it's so crazy. I got to, we have to like almost like contain it, right? Yes. Like in a sense. Of, I'm sitting here shaking. Because, <laughs> because of like everything that can come out yeah. like in this time. And we always like schedule this time, et cetera. But we got to do a part two. Yeah. And if you're down for that, we, Absolutely. I, I think it's going to be good. So let, let's just end with this part. There was one thing that I wanted to touch on, but I believe we can carry that into part two. But two questions to close us out. One is, what has been your most valuable contribution to society? And then secondly, talk about next steps. How can people find you? How do they purchase the book? And then a closing thought for the people. Yeah. My ultimate contribution is two things. Well, actually three. Love, light, and laughter. That's what I want to be remembered by. Not a building, not a monument, not an initiative, not a program. But when I was in Ben's presence, there was love, there was light, and we laughed. And that's what I want to contribute to the world. Because at the end of the day, all these things can go away. But the essence of how I made you feel will yeah. never go away. Yep, That always lives with you. That's an energy that never dies. And yep. so... That's what I want my legacy to be. And I think through those things, great things will happen. But I want that to be the core of the legacy. Going to Ghana, I received instruction for my next book, which is basically God before the slave trade. What was our culture? What was our worship? What was our spirituality like? What was the food we ate? 
how do we serve one another, right? If you practice Kwanzaa, you get just a little bit of the principles of African spirituality, right? And being open was a part of that, right? What happens to you happens to me. Yeah. What happens to me happens to you. We weren't closed off. We weren't taught to compete with one another. Our skin color, our hair texture, our height, our weight, all of that was taught to us to separate us and keep us divided. And so who were we before strategy came in to destruct us? Hmm. To devolve us, not evolve us, to devolve us. Who were we prior to that? And that is the great struggle for a lot of people because the brain tricks us. Once the brain gets into a system, a pattern of working, a beliefs, it's so hard to undo those things. Absolutely. And that's the work that I'm doing. Uh, people can find me on Instagram and Facebook. I got off Twitter. Can't get with Elon. <laughs> but Not at all. At I Ben Carlton, you can find my audiobook on all platforms. I'm black, I'm a minister, and I'm gay. And you can pick up my book on Amazon or blacklovewins.com because black love and black culture is truly, truly the heartbeat of the world. When you look at influence around the world, if you travel the world, you see blackness, you see African influence everywhere. The Moors travel the world teaching people how to take baths. Yes. Teaching people it. how to take care of themselves. Yep. So if you smelling fresh, you can thank the Moors. Yes. I mean, so much <laughs> is rooted in who we are yeah. that was stripped away. And the quote that I always tell people is until you bring your full self to the table, the universe cannot give you everything that belongs to you because the universe does not recognize. You. Wow. And so until I brought my full self, my black self, my queer self, my flamboyant self, my masculine self, my feminine self, until I brought that to the table and was willing everything. to yield that to the universe, everything, I couldn't receive everything mm. because there was no place for it. Mm. Right. And so until you bring your full self to the table, the universe cannot give you everything that belongs to you because it's locked up waiting for that personality, yeah. waiting for that statement waiting for that elevation of thought. And so that's my encouragement. Bring your full self to the table and whatever happens is supposed to happen. Yeah, that's incredible. Benjamin Carlton, thank you for being on the I Just Want to Record podcast. Just as our pa my pastor, Pastor Jeremy says, it's my hope that for those who are watching and listening that this podcast, the words that Benjamin shared today falls on good ground, that the wind won't blow it, the sun won't scorch it, and the crow won't eat it. Thank you for being on the I Just Want to Record podcast. Thank you for joining us on the I Just Want to Record podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and follow so that we can inspire more people just like you. Until next time, I'm Matthew Newman, a.k.a. Mr. Catch on Fire, signing off.